Payments Podcast from Bottomline Technologies. Greetings and welcome to the Payments Podcast. My name is John Gaffney. I'll be your host for this episode, which centers around the intersection of payments modernization and fraud detection and prevention. Let's break it down further. Businesses all over the world are well aware of the innovations in instant payments, cross-border payments, and financial messaging. But the question is, are your fraud detection and prevention technologies keeping pace with the innovations? That's just one of the questions I'll be asking our guests, and let's introduce them now. First, Ruud Grotens, based in the Netherlands. He's Bottom Line's Head of Solutions Consulting and has held several senior-level positions in the risk compliance and security areas. Rude, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, John. Uh, Glad to be here and have this conversation with you and Eric. Yeah, and joining us also from the other side of the pond is Eric Joltis from our Charlotte, North Carolina office. Um, Eric is the global product management for commercial payment fraud here at Bottom Line. Like Rude, he has decades of experience in this space and has much more patience than I do because he's a Six Sigma black belt, which I could never achieve. But um, Eric, I want to welcome you too. <laughs> uh, thanks, John. I'm excited to be here today as well um, and look forward to this conversation with uh, Yeah, that, that Hi, Six, Sigma, Six Sigma black belt. I, I, I've taken a couple of courses and I'm like, wait a minute, I'm a journalist. I can't do it. Um, <laughs> so anyway, I want to start us out with some semantics, Ruth, because I think they're very important here. Payment, payments modernization is kind of our umbrella issue here. But what we're here to discuss is how to keep pace with it, correct, from a fraud perspective? Um, Absolutely, John. Um, Payments modernization is a combination of uh, new rails and new technologies. And I think the two most important developments currently are, uh, one, real-time payments, and two, the ISO 222 payment uh, messaging standard. Real-time payments differentiate from traditional clearing. Uh, A settlement is immediately, usually around 10 seconds instead of hours or a couple of business days. And this also implies that payments are irrevocable, meaning that when the payment is sent, it can't be canceled or reversed anymore. And some people have the perception that real-time payments result in more fraud and faster fraud. And I'm sure we will come back on that later in our conversation, uh, John. And the other development I mentioned is ISO 222, which is a global uh, payment messaging standard with the ability to to better structure data and enrich that data, including information about the purpose of the payment, original source, ultimate, ultimate beneficiary. And ISO 222 will become the universal standard for payment systems eventually, because there is some delay in the introduction of it. And it's very promising when it comes to payment fraud detection and uh, prevention. So on a general level, I mean, you certainly described some things that are going on, a lot of dynamics in in this situation here. Are you encouraged that fraud defense can keep up with all this innovation? And are there any obstacles to this, in your opinion? Yeah, to become ISO 222 compliant, there's uh, quite some impact as a legacy technology will need to be reviewed. Uh, systems that can't process the ISO 222 format need to be updated, replaced or converted. Um, and there are a lot of investments needed to become ISO 222 compliant. But on the other hand, it's, it's worth all the effort because ISO 222 standardizes the payment message format resulting in more structured data. So it will help to make use of 
of better data that results in better analytics for, for fraud prevention and, and fraud detection. And for the most part, um, real-time payment systems are based on the ISO 222 standard already. So altogether, this makes a significant difference in the fight against financial crime. And to answer your question, John, that's why I am encouraged that fraud defense can keep up with payments innovation. Eric, let's go to you. Uh, how would you answer that question? And do you share Rude's, uh, if not excitement, encouragement? Uh, yeah, I mean, I absolutely share that that excitement. I mean, I, I, I think this shift that we're seeing to ISO 2022 is one of the largest shifts that many of us will see in the payments industry in our in our lifetime. Um, and I'm excited about it. I mean, I think it, it presents the opportunity for additional information um, to detect fraud. So, for example, with some of the, the payment rails like uh, like TCH RTP, um, that is uh, on the ISO 20022 format, payers and payees can chat. And that's part of the, the transaction messaging. And so you think about the ability to uh, to ingest that information not only does it simplify the overall over uh, overall accounts payable process uh, because it standardizes the uh, the format of that information but it gives additional information to investigators to really understand what's going on behind the scenes and whether or not the the transactions are fraudulent so yeah it's it's very exciting so outside of the data angle or or within the data angle route there's a lot of excitement about ISO as, as a way to message back and forth, but what are some of the other things about the data that you think make it a more um, secure platform? Yeah, from a payment fraud point of view, um, structured data, standardized payment messages make it easier to, to mine that data. And that gives you the ability to, pro, uh, to provide better fraud detection and prevention analytics. There are examples where banks use uh, ISO 222 fields to share fraud scores from the sending party to the receiving party. And that enables the receiving party to better judge uh, borderline cases. But um, financial institutions can't just think about the 1% of the bad actors. They also need to think about the 99% of the good actors. So the quality of data and how you leverage the insights of that data, I believe that makes the difference between stopping payment fraud on one hand and improving the customer experience on the other hand. Okay, interesting. Eric, there's a perception that I read um, or hear about that says real-time payments, because they're irrevocable, are vulnerable to fraud. Could you address that, please? Yeah, I, I hear that a lot uh, when we speak to um, to current customers and to and to banks. Um, you know, I I would I would respond to that like this. It, on the one hand. Um, real-time payments are very similar to other payment rails when it comes to detecting fraud. But on the other hand, there, there are some things that the fraud software platform needs to be able to do. Uh, so for example, the, the fraud software detection and prevention platform needs to be fast. It needs to be able to you know, analyze the, the payment and all the information and respond back uh, in enough time to meet the overall SLAs for the, the real-time payments. 
Um, but the fraud system also needs to be able to detect complex patterns and stop the payment in real time. That's, that's really important. Um, it also needs to have the ability to change workflows based on time of the day. You know, you think about it, fraud investigators are working normal business hours like, like everybody else. But what happens when a real-time transaction comes in outside of those, uh, those working hours? Well, does the fraud system have the ability to change the workflows and the decisioning based on the hours of the day? So that's another component. And then, uh, you know, a few other things to consider is the, the fraud system needs to be able to ingest and process all the additional data elements that comes with these faster payment transactions. Like, for example, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier the ability for payers and payees to chat. So, you know, that's an example of additional data elements that need to be ingested uh, so that you can properly analyze uh, whether a, a transaction looks suspicious or not. And then finally, the, the fraud system needs to be able to, to learn and adapt based off of uh, what, what the investigators are doing and how they're disposing of the alerts. And, the, and then the system needs to be tuned on a regular basis. I think if, if all those things happen, um, then you can absolutely detect fraud in real-time payments just like you can in other, in other payment rails. So the technology exists. It's just a, a question of making sure that uh, organizations are, are leveraging it. So Eric, let's stay with you. How does that compare to other existing rails right now and their fraud vulnerabilities? Yeah, that's that's a good question. I mean, you, you know, the newer payment rails like TCHRTP and FedNow and many others are already ISO uh, 2022 compliant. But there's there's older payment rails that haven't yet switched over. Like for example, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Notcha ACH. Uh, there, there's currently no timeline to convert to ISO 2022. But, um, but there is, then they provide a, a mapping guide to facilitate the translation of ISO payments into ACH. And they do that because it's, it's probably less important there, the standardization of, uh, of payments onto the ISO 2022 format is probably less important on that rail than it is, for example, on high value, high value wires like uh, chips and, and Fedwire, where a larger percentage of those uh, transactions are cross-border payments. So there, you know, you, if you think about it, the, the, the synergy with other countries and making sure they're, they're all using the same protocol is, is much more important. So it's, so it's not really that the existing payment rails are, are vulnerable to fraud. It's just that, you know, fraud detection on these non-ISO rails won't benefit from the standardized structured data elements that, uh, that allow for more efficient fraud detection. Well said. So, Rude, while we're discussing problems and threats, uh, interesting that the UK finance report that came out recently found the credit card fraud is actually dropping. Uh, any thoughts about why that might be happening? Yeah, that that's a good point, John. Um, this is the result of what is called strong customer authentication, or in short, SCA, which is actually a two-factor authentication for online payments or contactless card payments. It's uh, part of the PSD2, the Payment Service Directive, which is a set of laws and regulations for payment services here in Europe, uh, including uh, the UK. And to comply with the uh, 
strong customer authentication requirements, payment systems and payment flows on websites and, and, and apps had to be updated. And that is because when a suspicious payment is detected, customers need to take extra steps to prove that they are who they say they are. They are actually being challenged, right? So to increase the security of the payment, the uh, SCA mandates that a customer must provide additional identification through uh, two out of um, uh, three aspects. Um, that is about something they know, such as a password or a PIN code, something they are, such as a fingerprint or a face recognition, or something they own, such as a, a, a mobile device. And you're right, John, in the UK, according to uh, Barclay card payments, 73% uh, of retailers have seen online card payments decline since the introduction of strong customer authentication in May 2022, right? So, but that is good news, but there's also some not so good news, and it is that the study also showed that 28% of businesses in the UK are still not fully compliant with the regulation. And it does remain concerning that so many are still yet to become fully compliant. Hmm. Interesting. So let's go where only the brave will go, and which is cross-border payments, uh, which are also on a very innovative, more modern track. So, Rude, what happens when real-time rails meet cross-border payments? Yeah, then I would say there's still some work to do, John, because most countries plant their own national schemes for real-time payments on their own domestic clearing systems. Uh, and as a result, many of these national schemes stop at the national border. So it ends where the system ends. And that is why most real-time payment schemes are limited for uh, domestic use only. But there are a couple of exam uh, exceptions, of course. Uh, an example is SEPA instant payments. These are ISO 2022 compliant cross-border real-time payments currently in use by 36 member states in Europe. But there's a limitation, and the limitation is that it's only that only supports one currency, and that is the euro. And another interesting scheme to look at is uh, P27, Nordic Payments. Uh, it's often referred to as SEPA Plus, as it's based on the SEPA standards. And the participating countries are uh, Sweden, Norway, Denmark, and Finland. They all have their own currency, and today they also have their own national real-time payment schemes. But P27 will support real-time cross-border payments across these four countries. So when P27 is launched next year, because it's not live yet, it will, the world, it will be the world's first real-time payment scheme that will also allow cross-border and cross-currency payments within 10 seconds. Uh, and, and John, in my daily job, I noticed that people often think that SWIFT, SWIFT GPI, the Global Payments Innovation, uh, also covers real-time cross-border payments. But SWIFT has indeed greatly improved their GPI with transfer times down to uh, less than an hour, but it's not real-time. Therefore, SWIFT GPI is more focused on transparency by tracing where a payment currently is, but real-time payments was not the goal of SWIFT GPI. So, Eric, it's not as complex in North America, but it's certainly just as important. Could you talk to that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the way I look at it is cross-border payments are just like, 
you know, shaking hands and, and speaking the same language. And that's where ISO 2022 really helps, right? It allows cross-border payments to eventually all speak the same language once every, once all payment rails and formats move to to that um, that standard. So there's a lot to be said for that standardization and efficiency, you know, for both the speed and efficiency of processing the payment, but also for, for fraud detection. And SWIFT, uh, you know, to Rude's point, it's, it's a great example of that. You know, they're migrating from what they call their MT message formats to, uh, to MX, which is basically an ISO 20022 format. And they've mandated clear deadlines for, for switching over. Uh, as we all know, there's nothing better than a, than a deadline to, to motivate organizations to, to bite the bullet and make all the, the changes necessary to, um, to comply with, uh, with that mandate. But getting everybody on board is, is important, um, and it's all happening one, one rail at a time. So that's certainly really important for cross-border payments. I like that, one rail at a time. I'm going to steal that. Um, let's go to cloud migration. So, Root, if I'm a bank or a non-financial services business um, and I'm migrating to the cloud as I'm supposed to, does that open up fraud opportunities um, or does it shut them down? Yeah, good question. Um, I think it's important that banks risk assess the applications they want to host. They should risk assess um, regulatory concerns such as uh, data residency, Where's the data stored? Is it in another country? What are the laws under which the data is stored? What about data privacy laws? Uh, can I host uh, PII data, so personal identifiable information, or should I keep that running on-premise? Um, but banks should also risk assess security concerns, such as uh, concentration risk, uh, protection of data, and cyber attacks. And from that point of view, um, I think, uh, banks should work with a hosting partner who has experience and a track record when it comes to hosting applications for financial institutions, especially when it comes to security and uh, in particular cybersecurity protection. It's important that the hosting partner is compliant with security standards, have backup and recovery systems in place and have the necessary certifications in place. And because it's their core business, hosting partners are working at a much faster pace compared to individual banks. So the security standards of the data centers are very high. So it's unlikely that financial theft or data theft will happen because of a data center uh, deployment. So yeah, in short, I think there should be no concerns for banks when they work with the right hosting partner, but, and that is very important. Banks remain responsible to assess risk and compliance issues associated with the cloud and their hosting partner. Okay, well said. So, Eric, I know you've had some uh, some conversations about this with with some banks, with some big banks, actually. So, obviously, we don't want to divulge your names, but you could could you give us a flavor of what some of those conversations are like? Yeah, ab absolutely, John. You know, we speak to banks all the time to get their perspective on on what they're seeing um, as it relates to fraud and payment modernization, and and they likewise like to hear from us as to what we're seeing. And I I I like to break it down into you know seven things that we're that we're seeing in in the market. 
The first is, you know, we're seeing an increase in attack surfaces. Um, what does that mean? You know, volumes are up, especially digital volumes, digital payment volumes are up. There's a whole bunch of new payment rails like we've been talking about so far in, in this conversation. And there's new capabilities, again, like that payer, payee, chat, and many more capabilities that just increase what we call the attack surfaces that can be leveraged by uh, fraudsters and, and fraud organizations. So that's one. Um, two, payments are faster. Like we've been talking about, we're seeing all these new faster payment rails emerging. So, uh, some of them already in place, some of them still coming, like FedNow in, in 2023. You know, what that means is there's less time to investigate. Um, these payment rails are available 24-7, 365 days a year. They're irrevocable. Um, so it, you know, like we talked about earlier, it adds some additional uh, challenges and considerations from a, from a fraud perspective. Number three, we're seeing a high increase in social engineering fraud. Fraudsters are, are working together uh, between social engineering and, and, and data leaks. Uh, it increases their ability to, to impersonate. So we're seeing a lot of impersonation fraud uh, to the point even that it's been called a, a, an APP that stands for Authorized Push Payment uh, you know, it's been called an APP epidemic in, in some places. Um, number four, we're seeing um, some real sophistication in the attacks. So, for example, deep fake voice and deep fake videos. Uh, you know, imagine an accounts payable uh, employee receiving what they think is a is a video or a voicemail from their CEO or from their manager telling them to execute a wire immediately and that actually happens to be a, a deep fake uh, video that's uh, that was created by uh, by a fraudster so the the technology and the sophistication is is increasing um, number five, we're hearing from banks that they're being forced to do more with less. Um, so that means, you know, containing losses and staying within their operating budgets is more important than ever. Uh, taming their data, making sure that they're really understanding their data, organizing it um, and ingesting it properly. And then finally, attracting and retaining talent, just like all other, um, uh, you know, areas of the of the workforce these days, um, attracting and retaining talent is is difficult. Um, so given all that, number six, data is absolutely king. Um, what do we mean by that? It means that, you know, they, they banks and other organizations dealing with fraud really have to understand the difference in data between, for example, retail and commercial, and make sure to not treat them the same. They're, they're, they're very different, and you have to ingest the right data points for each of those, uh, those types of transactions uh, to really be sure to, to optimize your, your fraud detection uh, parameters. So ingesting the right uh, data elements and the additional data elements is, is absolutely key. And then last but not least, number seven, what we're hearing from banks is, you know, they have to do all this and deal with all of this. Um, um, and at the same time, really continue to manage the customer experience even more than ever, meaning, 
you know, they, they have to detect fraud without, um, without impacting the customer experience, without uh, creating what's called too much friction in, uh, in the entire process, which is a, a, it's a very tricky balance for them. So, you know, overall, it's, uh, it's a tricky environment, but the technologies and the capabilities are out there uh, for, uh, for banks and large corporates and other organizations to, uh, to properly detect fraud. Well, great points. Great points. Rude, any reaction to any of those? Uh, yes, uh, John. Today, um, we have spoken about payments modernization and, and fraud defense. And as Eric said earlier, the technology exists. There is payment fraud detection and prevention technology available that can accommodate real-time payments, ISO 222, and also the performance and security uh, needs. So seeing fraud as an obstacle to adopt real-time payments is a, a short-sighted approach in my view. Uh, the primary functionality to consider for financial institutions is a, a real-time risk-based payment fraud detection solution that will minimize the impact on non-risky client behavior on one hand and maximize the impact on high-risk behavior on the other hand. But payment fraud will never disappear entirely. It's, uh, it's that balloon effect. When you put fraud measures, measures at one place, fraud moves to another place. Fraudsters are becoming smarter, and Eric gave a, good few, a few good examples of that. And we know that fraud rates are highest when new real-time payment schemes are rolled out. So from a payment fraud perspective, it's also important to consider a solution that can keep track of fraud loss, how much was recovered, how much fraud loss was prevented, and this is important because the lesson learned is that organizations that know the extent of their fraud losses are better at reducing their losses. Well said. Well said. All right, gentlemen, uh, that is a wrap on this episode of the Payments Podcast. My name is John Gaffney again, and we have been talking with Ruth Grotens and Eric Schultes from Bottom Line's uh, Risk Compliance and Security Practice. And uh, gentlemen, I'd like to thank you for joining us. And I hope uh, everybody listening will check us out next time um, wherever you listen to your podcast. Thanks again. Bye. The Payments Podcast from Bottom Line Technologies.